Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Ferry and of course, as always, my co-host. I am Chris Huddleston. Today we are very, very excited to be talking about the cult classic Flash Gordon. What plaything can you offer me today? The planet Earth. It's an attack. Pathetic earthlings. Who can save you now? Flash, they'll kill you. Let's all team up and fight him. Prepare for torture. I want him. Stop at nothing. Flash Gordon is still alive. Gordon's alive? Yes! Must be my lucky day. Okay, so that was actually a restored trailer for a 4K. Well, it's a trailer for the restored 4K anniversary edition, but I like that one better because the sound quality is so much nicer than the other one I could find. Uh, do you have a synopsis for us, Chris? I do. I have a very brief one from IMDb. A football player and his friends travel to the planet Mongo and find themselves fighting the tyranny of Ming the Merciless to save Earth. Well, that is short and sweet and right very to the brief. point. Yeah. Um well, I mean, let's just get into it. I remember this one from my childhood for sure, but I haven't seen it um, in a long, long, long time. Um, you proposed this one, actually. Mm -hmm. um, was there anything simmering on your mind other than the fact that it's a little bit cult classic, definitely genre, definitely sci-fi, definitely kind of campy? Yeah, that was pretty much it. And just that uh, I hadn't seen it probably since elementary school. So. What'd you think? So <clears throat> this is a much like the black hole. I'm, I know for sure I saw the black hole in, in uh, the theater. Um, this I'm about 90% sure. I, I don't have as vivid a reg uh, recollection as I did with the black hole, but I'm, I'm almost certain that I saw this in the theater but I saw this a bunch of times on HBO um, and loved it as a kid. Um, so again, this is my first time seeing this as, a, as an adult or even, you know, in high school or anything like that. I was kind of disappointed, I have to say. It's, I like the black hole a lot better. Um, mm. it's, it's super campy. Um, which I think even as a child, I understood that, that it's, you know, that it was kind of, you know, they were winking and everything, but it's, the cast is really great. You know, you have Ming is Max von Sydow, you know, he's great in everything. Um, Sam Jones, who played Flash Gordon, he was really good. You have Timothy Dalton in it, but it just, everything with it seems so cheap and, I thought the costume design for the most part was bad. Um, you have the great, uh, 
you I guess you could say a score, but they kind of it's kind of the same song over and over again with Queen, which is fantastic. But beyond that, it just I don't know. I I was pretty disappointed because it just seemed very cheap and very campy, but not too much in a fun way. You know what I mean? I don't know what, yeah, what did it you was. Think? A, it was a little slow, interestingly, for a movie that's so yeah. packed with action sequences. Um, right. And you know what? What I, I want to talk about specific things, but what really leapt sure. out at me is, is, you know, during the credits, it's a Dino De Laurentiis uh, picture, and you know that that's we he did Dune. Mm-hmm. He did, um, I mean, he, he did a lot of stuff, it, but we had just watched Dune. Um, he did Serpico, right? And we watched the um, Stallone film that made me think of Serpico. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made Three Days of the Condor, which is a great movie. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Blue Velvet, Conan the Barbarian. Um the dead zone i don't we could watch that one do you oh, remember the dead zone i love the, de- yeah. I love the dead zone. <laughs> maybe we yeah. maybe we need to do the dead zone next yeah. because the dead zone is i'm great. reading wikipedia here and i had forgotten about that movie but <clears throat> just speaking of dino de Laurentiis, it's like there's a it's partly it's the time but what surprised me somewhat about this movie um was they kids movies nowadays they're just a different animal um and this was definitely i think a kids movie did you did, i mean did you think this is not a kids movie no i i i felt like it was very much a kids movie but uh you you continue with your thought but there was something about it that I, that i thought was funny for a kids movie but go ahead well a bunch and that's what i want to get into right now so there's just a lot of adult themes. Exactly. Um, yeah. Without without anything being explicit, like there's um, torture. Well, you have the, I, I don't slavery. mean to interrupt, but, but you have the, so you have the daughter of, so I, I was thinking exactly the same thing. You have the daughter of Ming, who's this beautiful woman, and there's a part where they torture her and they have her like sprawled out on her stomach and, you know, she's in these tight pants and heels, you know, and everything. And then they're whipping her on her back. And then I thought, this is kind of odd for a kid's movie. And then there's a scene where um, Dale, who is the love interest of Flash, they have her and Ming's daughter and they're kind of rolling around on this big bed. And I was like, I don't know. I, I, I felt like they threw in this kind of sexual stuff that was a, an odd for a kid's movie. A lot of sexual stuff. Like, it's not that there's a lot of skin. Again, there's nothing explicit. But Ming has got like this magic ring that I don't, I don't, you know, they don't, it's science fiction, but he's got some like ring of power that compels people to do stuff. And he makes Dale, who is the ingenue, do this kind of sexy shimmy thing Mm -hmm. where he's sort of virtually molesting her controlling her mind and making her you know again she's fully clothed Mm -hmm. but she's doing this kind of i don't know how to describe it you know she's sort of 
caressing the air around her and caressing herself and it's it's to say it made me uncomfortable is inaccurate i mean whatever it's not that but it was like i I was struck by i was like this is some adult (laughs) stuff like there's nothing the censors could really pin anything to but it's like they were trying to do an end run around some of that and Uh, it's Max von Sydow is uh, Ming, who and he's great. He yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, he's he's really. Well, I mean, great. he's great in pretty much everything he does. Yeah. But he really chews up the furniture in this, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll put a pin in Ming because I want to talk about racist elements in the property. Uh, <laughs> just which is a fifties thing anyway. But um, uh, you know his cruelty and the cruelty of his people. Uh, is, again, saying it's shocking is too strong a word, but for a kid's movie, it's like I would have a little exclamation point over my head. I was like, I remember watching it as a kid. And there's a, okay, so here's one sort of graphic moment that that stayed with me as a child, but um, didn't make any sense at all in rewatching. So his right-hand man is a guy named Clytus, Mm-hmm. And um, he's, of course, he's wearing this sort of hooded, looks like a Jedi robe with a hood. And uh, he has a golden face mask. Mm-hmm. And watching it now, it's it looks to me just like he's a guy in a face mask. But I thought I he was, was really I, did you think he was yeah. really scary when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah and I didn't know I did if he too. was a robot or mm-hmm. a cyborg or what his deal was. But anyway, long story short, when he meets his demise, it's he dies on sort of this floating platform that has spikes in it, this one-to-one combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alerts, by the way, we're going to talk about everything in this movie. Um, and he dies, and then there's a sort of a, so he just gets impaled on a couple, three spikes, maybe that are maybe a foot long. So they go through him um, and there's not blood or anything, but then it shows a close up of the mask and his eyes and tongue extrude through the mask in this. And it's a practical effect mm-hmm. where it's like now that he's dead, somehow it's like as though he's being crushed or something and his organic material is coming out through the holes. And I just, so I want to talk about this on a couple of levels. One, ooh, like (laughs) I know we want to underline the fact that this is a bad guy and he dies in a particularly grisly way because there's a sort of a karmic satisfaction to like go good. You know, this, this, um, like in Raiders of the Lost Ark where you watch the guy's head explode and then another guy melts, you know, like, and there's there's like, yeah, you deserve that, you know, but then, then there's like, well, so he just got impaled on a, you know, somebody else gets a sword put through him and his eyes and tongue don't squirt out of his head. You're like, why? Mm-hmm. What's happening here? Do you do you know this, the moment I'm talking about? I do. Yeah, absolutely. What what was your take on that? I mean, was it just a gratuitous, like, we need a punctuation point here? Or? Yeah. And I think, I don't know. I think you... Uh... I think the seventies and eighties were just a different time. You know, I think we were kind of subjected to a lot of stuff as kids that maybe we shouldn't have, have seen. Uh, 
but you know, like with the sexual stuff, for example, I think, you know, return of the Jedi, you know, uh, princess Leia in the, in the metal bikini, you know, but um, how bad. So again, but there's a fair amount of skin. Like that's a very sexy outfit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Jabba is clearly, this is another thing that doesn't make sense. Why do aliens who's, um, you know, who's, who's physical, right? He's a slug. He's not attracted to other giant slugs. Like, why is he, <laughs> yeah. why are all these aliens That's attracted to earth women? Like, why are we, why don't we look as disgusting to them? We would look like a That's stick a bug point. or something to a giant slug. Like, you would why, think so. Yeah. Why would they be sick? How would that even work? <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but, you know, you're just supposed to go with it. Like he's a big slimy guy. And there's the one scene where he kind of pulls her closer. And then uh, that big, puppet tongue is like you know comes out and she's like Ugh. he licks her face or something doesn't he yeah and that's about as graphic as it gets i mean they're suggesting like he's she's his sexual slave but it's much more explicit than that without the skin in this movie yeah i agree and the princess who's attracted everyone's attracted to everybody else like so all the men in the movie more or less are after ming's daughter Mm-hmm. the princess who i will admit is smokingly hot oh yeah yeah <laughs> uh sure. and, and and but but and she she you know she plays them all for suckers uh you know she's i think uh, flash even has one the line at one point does anyone ever trust her twice <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's not a great performance on that actor's part but he does he does get some good one-liners um he's charismatic i would say yes and, and i kept thinking this is the nicest, you know, not that you don't have heroes that are essentially nice, but like he didn't really have a lot of one liners and zingers and stuff like that. He's just this very virtuous guy, you know, um, I felt uh, I, I thought that was kind of funny that he wasn't. I guess we're just kind of used to the, you know, modern hero as being more sar- sarcastic and, you know, the. Arnold and Schwartz or Arnold and uh, Stallone, you know, one liners and all that kind of stuff, which he doesn't really yeah. have much of in this. I don't think it's just that, though. I mean, I, I would say that the camera, the camera loves him. Mm-hmm. Right. He's easy to watch on screen. He looks great. He look he's supposedly a quarterback for the New York Jets. And you buy that like he's built and um, blonde and uh you know he's got a strong jawline like he's a handsome guy Mm -hmm. and he it's not like you look at him on camera and think why'd they cast this guy it's it's clear yeah and he seems to have good chemistry with the other actors it's just it's it doesn't run any deeper than the script right i mean Mm -hmm. you think of a harrison ford as indiana jones or you know pick one of your other even tom cruise I will stick with Harrison Ford. Um, you know, in a scene where it's basically just him running up to to his close-up and hitting his mark, and it's that moment where his face fills the whole frame, and he doesn't have a line, but he's just taking a moment to, like, process what just happened and or his next steps. With Harrison Ford, there's a lot going on. Like, he is telling a story non-verbally, with his face and this guy is not doing that (laughs) like this guy it's like he's hitting his marks and he looks good in the costumes and he's delivering his lines and he's not saying the lines like a you know he's delivering his lines but he's not doing anything more than that 
is not bringing anything more than that to it. And I, I wonder if this wouldn't have been a more compelling movie if they'd have been able to find a lead that could have anchored it, you know, matched some of the supporting characters. Yeah. Like Brian Blessed, um, or is it Breathed? What's the, uh, Hawk he's, Man. he's the hot guy. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, like I say, he's great. Uh, Tim, I mean, Timothy Dalton is probably, Timothy Dalton. you know, he's fantastic. You know, he's another actor like uh, um, Max von Sydow, where he's great in everything, you know. So, yeah, you're right. I think that, um, you know, he's just kind of, I, I wouldn't say that, that Flash is wooden, but he's just not, there's, just, like you said, there's not a lot of depth there. And it, saying he's two-dimensional is kind of, sounds kind of cruel. I just feel like as the title character, you want to be bringing at least as much as your supporting uh, characters mm-hmm. to the to the screen. And I don't, I don't want to say he sucks, but I think he's outshined by just about everybody else. Um, yeah, I would agree. The exception of Dale. <laughs> well, and also the, I don't know if it's a language thing, but the, uh, the princess, the Ming's daughter, like you said, she's hot, but her, her line delivery isn't too great. I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a language thing, but, but yeah, yeah. she was the, I felt like she was the really weak. Uh, I felt like she might've been a model who we could probably look this up. She might've been a, a model. She's Italian. Did. She was like, I looked it up. She was like in like a ton, a ton of stuff, but, hmm. um, and you have like, uh, Clytus, uh, Peter Wingard is that actor's name. His voice is fantastic. You know, yes. that opening where they're looking at, uh, you know, they're looking at earth and Ming is like, you know, what planet is this? And he says, it, it's called earth, you know? Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love his. And you yeah. know, that was something really funny that I noticed in the beginning that I had never picked up on it as a kid. Did you notice when, uh, you know, Ming is creating these uh, natural disasters on earth and he just has these buttons that he could push that are like yep. hailstorm, hurricane, hot, hot <laughs> hail. Yeah. But it's just hot like hail. You could just press a button and it just creates this, you know, this weather issue. And of course they're of the time. They look like NASA, like they're plastic, mm-hmm. They're plastic buttons that has, you know, that say earthquake. Somebody has hands painted that on the button. And yeah. there's a little analog, not an LED light, but a, like a little bulb behind it flashing. I always think that's funny when they, because they design these sort of spaceships that are models or paintings, but mm-hmm. inside the space, like Star Trek, the same way inside the spaceship, it's all like, I am the computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you figured out faster than light travel, but you're still using like radio buttons and toggle switches. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, you know, and, and you've got different, you've got the cast all sort of in different. This was a comic book movie before Marvel really slam dunk to find what a comic book movie is. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of spandex, uh, a lot of cartoon design kind of, in the costumes and in the makeup, um, really bright colors. Um, Queen soundtrack, which I think was amazing, but sort of 
um, imposes itself on the movie. Like mm-hmm. it, it's doing a lot of work, but uh, you know, you don't feel like they. I guess they probably would have would have watched an edit of the film and then just gone into the studio and done what they do, right? And been like, "Here's your thing, right? We're queen. Say you're welcome." And, and I don't think they did. I was thinking about this watching the movie. Did they ever do any other soundtrack work that you can? I mean, did they even like contribute a song to a soundtrack or anything? Not that, that I was, can remember. That, it right? did make me think of Dune, though, with with Toto's soundtrack, yeah. this sort of rock soundtrack. And again, that's a Dino De Laurentiis movie. That's but that just watching it, that seemed like a bit of a coup to me that um, that they were able to get Queen to do this. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Well, and we hear it in the trailer. It's just there, you know, that, you know, obviously the listeners can't see the trailer, but that the music of Queen is so. When we talk about the cult classic, that theme, that flash theme is one of the most electrifying and memorable moments of uh, aspects of the film. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the other thing is that, so then they have Zarkov and they wipe his mind, right? With this sort of big ray. And it's a really kind of upsetting scene. We find out later that he was able to pull some mental trick where it didn't wipe his mind. Mm-hmm. Really? But while we're doing it, we're watching his memories sort of flash up on the screen as he regresses to a fetus basically before they reprogram him as an agent. And it's just, you know, it's another depiction of torture. Yeah. I don't know, man. It just didn't feel like a kid's movie. They, they you know, he has memories of um, world war two and uh, Hitler. And, you know, apparently he lived through that time period, whether he lived through the Holocaust specifically, or was just, uh, you know, a European Jew at the time it was happening. And Clytus has a line where he's like, now that guy showed promise. Talk about him. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, yeah, oh, that's, yeah. that's hilarious. That's yeah. a really funny joke. <laughs> yeah. uh, guys, I don't know. It's just, I don't know exactly who that stuff was pitched at. Mm-hmm. They felt kind of like inside jokes. And the sexy stuff kind of felt pitched at dad. Right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, this, this is to keep are, that the kids are sitting right next to him. I, yeah. I just. Well, it's what, strange. One thing that I have to say is. Flash Gordon is one of these characters that I feel like is our parents generation, you know, or especially like my dad's generation, because he's he's a, he's a little older. Like I didn't ever read a Flash Gordon comic when I was a right. kid or anything. I mean, there was a cartoon, I think maybe when we were kids or maybe, you know, maybe like late seventies or early eighties or something like that. But it, it, it seems like one of these, it, it's kind of like Buck Rogers. It's one of these characters that was kind of before our time. So maybe that's all in the source material. I don't know. Maybe they had. Yeah. You know, I don't know the source material very well. And maybe the Empress was sort of, scantily clad and maybe maybe it was uh sort of a sexy um maybe that you know maybe sci-fi and the sort of sex appeal of the space princess was all kind of like a way of getting around oh these uptight earth moors 
mm-hmm. where you could say to scolds, you could say, oh, you relax. You know, this is in a different galaxy where they don't have the hangups we have here in America or whatever. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Either. Maybe it maybe it's referencing that. Along those lines, I think one thing that I was thinking uh, about watching this is it's a little bit surprised. So this was 1980. So it's a long time ago. It's a little bit surprising to me that this, there has not been another Flash Gordon movie at some point. Now would seem like the perfect time because you have the yeah. technology to do, you know, to do everything. It's a known, you know, to a degree, it's a known property. And, you know, Hollywood loves things that are known. And, it's a little bit surprising to me that this hasn't happened considering it's funny to me that it seems like every couple of years we get a new uh, Robin Hood movie and most of them don't seem to do very well. And it's like, who is clamoring to see Robin Hood again? You know? Right. Um, So I, it's surprising to me that we haven't seen a remake of this. And I would be surprised if we do not see sometime in the pretty near future, that one of the studios wouldn't try this again. Well, you know, let's talk about it. First of all, I don't know what COVID is going to do to the movie industry. I mean, I we, I assume things will kind of resume and normalize once we get on the other side of this virus. But it's hard to know. Like I was reading an article the other day. We're talking about oh, a vaccine. And the author pointed out, it's like the fastest vaccine that was ever created was mumps, I believe. And it was like five um, years or something. Yeah, yeah. it took that was four years. That's the record. So it's like yeah. we keep talking about, oh, maybe we'll have one by this Christmas. And like, well, that would be amazing, uh, considering nobody is working together yeah. <laughs> on the same page. Uh, but I, you know, and assuming the Earth doesn't completely go up in apocalyptic um wildfires and sea level rises and everything else that we that we're going to get back to a thing where the studios are cranking out movies and people are going to theaters to see them um but yeah you're right they they, you know there's no shortage of weaker properties getting um reboots and you'd think so a couple of thoughts why not one might be that there's something like like you had said why sometimes can't you find something like um, Wild at Heart online is sometimes there's just sort of things get kind of tied up in who has the rights to do what. Yeah, and that's a good say, I, I hadn't thought about that. that it, could be, it could be tied up in rights issues. By the time, you know, we spend X million dollars like arguing about who's allowed to do what with this property, forget it. Like it's, you know, we don't expect anything to make that. Or it's just too much of a headache when we can find, we can make another Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Because the like other thing is, public I think, domain or whatever, you know. I, I, the other, the other impulse I have, which I'm going to argue against myself in just a second, is that the source material is, you know, I touched on it earlier. There's a racism that is baked into it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly a misogyny that's baked into it. And the kind of model of uh, so so they're in the empire of Mongo, and it's just like that's just like baloney place in space. Like there's no direct analog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's 
I guess is does Ming have his own planet, and then there are moons that orbit that planet? Because then he's not the emperor of the universe; he's just the emperor of this planet and its or its immediate solar system or something. But you know, the Hawkmen have a planet or a moon, and the forest people have a moon, and then there's a, supposedly a couple of other things. And Ming keeps them all fighting against each other, and that's how he maintains his power. But I don't know. It just seemed like ridiculously absurd to me on screen. But then to be fair, we just saw, you know, Avengers Endgame where there are five power stones created at the beginning of the universe and they're just baloney. It's just absurd. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you having, I guess when Stan Lee conceived of that, it's a comic book for kids. And so, you know, you don't think too much about it. But when you have a live action actor talking about, so at the creation of the universe, there was this, these five little, six little, whatever gems of soul, time. Like, what? What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. That's so stupid. <laughs> like, so there's a gem that controls time? You know, but, but I guess any of these comic book movies, if you think about them too much, they break down. Yeah, I, I felt like that with this movie where it's just kind of like the movie doesn't want you to ask too many questions. Like the beginning with, uh, so we, we didn't really talk about this, but the beginning, they, uh, Flash and Dale are in an airplane and the airplane and crashes. Zarkov. Well, well, right. they, well, they crash into Zarkov's uh laboratory or whatever it is uh, yeah okay his facility or whatever and he has a rocket and he forces them into the rocket because he has to have people to go with him but but what was the i didn't understand what the purpose of what where he was trying to go did you did well, that make sense he to he I, I may have dozed off during this part. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I may. Have I watched. Too. I watched it over two nights. Oh, okay. So. I watched it all in one sitting, but I did. I did have a hard time keeping my eyes open at times. Uh, it, 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 uh, he what he put together was what Zarkov put together was that this was an attack. Oh, that's that right. That's right. Yeah, he was, it wasn't he was just trying some to stop environmental yeah, crisis. That's right. Yes, he's like we have to go, and and Ming even says that to him later that. I test when I find a new planet like this, I test them with these natural disasters. Mm -hmm. And if they all just fall to their knees in supplication and believe it's the gods or something, I leave them alone because they're obviously harmless. Right. There would be but no fun they, in that. Exactly. Yeah. And there's no point. They're no threat to me, mm -hmm. but you figured out you could, I think he says, if, he, if they see the hand of Ming as he did, as he figured out it was an attack then I realized they're on the they are on the verge of becoming a threat now or in the future, and he destroys them utterly to kind of prevent them from ever threatening his rule. So I think he was going. I don't know that he knew it was Ming the Merciless, but he was going to try and trace the source of these disasters that he perceived to be an attack. Yeah, and so then they go up in the rocket, and then there's like some kind of a vortex or something that pulls them into. Yeah the universe because i was thinking like how long would it take you know for them to get to this other to these other planets where there are all these people but the vortex pulls them into that or whatever you know so again not not just don't think right. too hard about it 
Well, in the Star Trek era, too. I'm sorry, Star Wars. Because Star Trek, they actually do track the time it takes to get from here mm -hmm. to there. But in Star Wars, it's just like, wait, we need to go to Tatooine. Yeah. Cut to Tatooine, right? And you're like, how much older did everyone get in the course of this just in the traveling from here to there? I mean, they do have light. They have the jump to... Doesn't he say... Doesn't Han always say we're making the jump to light speed? Yeah. So it's not faster than light travel. It is light speed travel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're going from system to system, like that's years, <laughs> even at light yeah. speed. Um, but again, that's anyway. one of those things you just don't want to think about it too much. Right. As a kid, you're like, hey, get the laser sword out. Let's have some. You know. Yeah, exactly. And that was, you know, speaking of Star Wars, that was another thing that I was thinking. So this is three years after Star Wars. It's the same year that The Empire Strikes Back came out. And the effects look like a movie from the 50s, you know, when they're flying the yeah. rockets around and crashing onto yeah. planets and stuff. I mean, it was, the effects were not good. Well, do you have, are you, do you know what the budget was? I mean, I, some um, of that may have been slightly intentional in terms yeah. of. It's making it feel like a comic book movie and a cartoon movie. And I'll, I'll check uh, box office mojo here. It's always a little tough to get on these older movies. It's hard to get budgets, but I'll see if I can see what I can find. Um, I'll definitely be able to find what it made, but. Uh, and Star Wars made a bundle. Yeah. So I think that they probably, in that regard, the studio was kind of like, Hey, great. You know, make lightning strike twice. I and don't when he know was what... like, I need more money for the models or whatever. Also Lucas and, and ILM and uh, they, that was a big thing. Of oh yeah. What they did he was really wanted. Yes. Yes. So he was, he was interested in reinventing um, what, where the limit was in terms of that stuff. So I don't know what it, it doesn't say what it cost, but it made, um, a little over 27 million. Uh, so it opened, made about 4 million. It's opening weekend. It made all of its money in the United States international. It made $45,000. Holy mackerel. Yeah. So I guess it didn't have much of a wide release in, uh, well, they were re-released this last month. Really? That's where the international money came from. Um, I guess they released it in Europe or something last month, July 31st to August 2020 to August 20, there, 2020. There are some intriguing concepts. For example, he, on the swamp planet, you know, there's, this I liked the swamp bravery stuff. I, I thought that was pretty cool. And, and I don't mean to interrupt you again, but that was another thing that was, that scared me as a kid. Yeah. And it's still a little bit suspenseful now is when they, so they have this thing where there's like this, kind of tree root thing with a bunch of holes in it and they put their hand in and there's this scorpion kind of thing. And, you know, if you, it's like a test of manhood or whatever, which I felt, did you feel like that was directly ripped off from, from Dune kind of, or. I, I thought it was derivative of a bunch of different sources. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cause but, we definitely, but that's pretty effective. I mean, it, you know, the effect of the scorpion thing doesn't look great, but it's, it's somewhat suspenseful. And again, I remember being totally freaked out by that as a kid. Yeah, the idea you know? of sticking your sticking your hand blindly into this hole and a big gnarly 
knotty stump thing where you know you know if you put your hand in wherever the little critter is like if you basically mm -hmm. put your wrist right in front of its face it's going to sting you and that sting is lethal um but you have the uh the tree planet and then there's a swamp you know swamp component it reminded me you not as as effectively done but it reminded me of dagobah from the empire strikes back and i don't think they ripped it off or anything because it was the same year. I don't think they could have, you know, and that might be in the source material too, but, but I thought that was one of the more effective, more effective parts of the movie. I felt. Yeah. And there was also what I had totally forgotten is there was a creature in the swamp that gets a hold of flash at one point. And it's also slightly reminiscent of the watcher in the water in uh, Tolkien you never really get the scope of the whole thing in Tolkien. It's um, sort of tentacles. And in this, it's sort of these sort of spider legs. And then there's this sort of big bladder type inflatable. Like he's something's got him, And there's a sound design thing where it's sort of screeing and squealing. And then this sort of legs are trying to, it's like, it's trying to stuff it into its, it, him into its maw and its body is sort of squishy. And then somebody, shoots it with a laser crossbow and uh, I think that sort was, of uh, explodes. I think that's Timothy Dalton that shoots it. Yeah. Yeah. He saves him. Um, but I just love that he's got a laser crossbow because it's like everything else on the planet indicates they all look like Robin Hood. You're like, Oh, you guys don't shoot bows. And yeah. Arrows. They you were guys, very Robin. You got Hood. a laser gun, but it looks like a, it looks like a crossbow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were very Robin Hood. Um, and I had forgotten that, you know, it, it's not that it's done particularly well, except that I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's a cool concept that, you know, Flash gets. Yeah, again, there's stuff in this that I think a reboot or re reimagining or whatever with today's technology could be fun. Maybe it's that if if that's the maybe you you can't, you don't get to do that stuff again because it's been done similarly maybe better in other movies since right i mean mm -hmm. is a monster in the swamp that tries to get pull you down does that feel original does that feel fresh no. now no. flying hawkman like how do you and I, I i kept thinking as as far as a reboot that maybe studios think you know it's too corny or whatever but but i feel like like give this to the guy who did uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like I think yeah. he could knock this out of the park, you know, because I think he would have the right tone of, you know, kind of cheesiness, but still not not too cheesy. Chris Pratt could probably do Flash yeah. Gordon. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He he would be a good Flash Gordon. How I many mean, franchises can he have though? I know. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, and I love Chris Pratt. I don't get tired of watching Chris Pratt, but you saturate on anyone after a while, Yeah, you know? Um, and there's just only so many different iterations of yourself you can play on screen before it starts to muddy and blur. Um, but my point just being that and there's lots of other actors that could do it, but he would be a good are, choice though. Yeah. He'd be a great, there choice. are people that could do it. that could carry that. Um, and I think you would want to try and keep some of the sex appeal that, that actually felt really central to the whole thing, including 
the use of queen as the uh, soundtrack, mm-hmm. you know? And there was a sort of a BDSM bondage. Uh, That's a d- ele- exactly what I was thinking. There was design. definitely a bit of a bondage thing going on there, you know. And, and you know, and the, was I just what sort made of it feel weird. Flash Gordon as a property, like being the stuff of adolescent fantasy, specifically adolescent boy fantasy. Right. But like, oh, I'm a football player and a spaceman and a hero, you know, and I get the girl and all the girls want me. And they're all like insanely hot. But there's the like, there's the girl next door. And then there's the exotic space princess. I guess it's only those two. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but there were other, I mean, he wasn't interacting with him, but there were other women in the background that were kind of scantily clad and and all that, you know. Um, One thing that I thought was really funny about the costume design was that I've always loved that flash shirt, you know. But it struck me as very funny watching the movie. His outfit that he wears is basically khaki pants and a Uh white like ringer tee with his name on it. (laughs) Right. And did you notice when there's a there's a part where they uh, they execute him? Basically, Ming executes him. They send him to. Yes, there's an execution. That was another, you know, upsetting thing for children. But so the princess saves him. By they inject him with something and bring him back to life. But I thought it was really funny. They had a, uh, like a coffin for him and it's, it said flash Gordon human on it. And it, uh, you know, it was like the, the flash Gordon name written on there was like the logo of the movie. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Like they went to, they, they the honored the, they yeah. honored the branding. Well, yeah. so, so we're, we're, we're getting into a, you know, an interesting little uh, nitpicky uh, area here, but I, <laughs> so he has this sort of football esque thing where he's throwing these metal eggs that are football size around and knocking. And it's as much comic as it is action. And ultimately they subdue him. This is early in the movie and Ming sentences him to death excuse me and it's like they're gonna make an example of him um but then there's all this pomp and circumstance about his official execution like i don't they they kind of escort him up to the chair and they give him a hood for his face and it's a gas like for ming the merciless a gas chamber seems incredibly benign right why wouldn't they publicly torture this guy to death that seems more in line with like what they do to his own daughter when they discover her treason is they've got something that we don't see but something called boar worms that she's terrified yeah, of. yeah. and you're kind of like so the guy who employs boar worms on his own daughter executes this alien you know he's brutalizing earth just for the fun of it literally and we get this earthling who like causes a ruckus in his throne chamber in defiance and he gives him like what seems like an honorary execution i i just didn't make any sense to me like why wouldn't they do you know what i mean Did yeah i agree I, I didn't like, really why are they honoring that. flash gordon but you know in all honesty i mean why did they look at him any more than like almost like an animal or something you know he's he's from you know this completely different planet and 
it's it's weird that they would even care to that he said he says he will be executed publicly but the public execution doesn't seem to be any more public than the throne room in which he announces it Mm-mm. right i mean yeah. everyone's right here just kill him like why you know i don't know so i'm sure i've said this on other 80s movies that we've covered but i think some of the answers to some of our questions as to some of the weird stuff that was going on. And I think this is a big difference between movies of this era and movies of today. And I think it's just cocaine basically, (laughs) you know, I, (laughs) I, you know, I don't know about some of these quote unquote more serious movies, but I know with, I've read a lot of stuff and seen some documentaries and things about like the blues brothers and Caddyshack and some of those comedy movies where literally cocaine was figured into the budget of the movie and you know the people were just you know they were just all partying every night and i i wouldn't be surprised if this was one that there was a lot of that you know going with hollywood baby exactly yeah you know so i i think that's i think that's a big difference between then and and now some of these weird things that were in movies is i i think just there was a lot of a lot of drug use going on well, why don't we go ahead and give it our final verdict? And then maybe if you want to just, we can also digress and talk about some of the other stuff we've been sure. uh, watching. So would you recommend this to our listeners? I would say, here's the thing about this. It's not it's not fun enough, I don't think, from a campiness standpoint, that this is really like a party movie. Um you know, I feel like people who who saw this as children and have nostalgia nostalgia about it, it'd be a good idea to revisit it. This got a bit of a um, kind of a bump a few years ago. Did you ever see Ted, the movie about the the talking uh, with Mark Wahlberg, the talking? I don't uh, think so. I saw clips of it. Okay, Ted is actually pretty good, but uh, um, uh, so Ted and Mark Wahlberg are best friends basically. And they, they love this movie. So they referenced this movie and they actually brought, uh, Sam, uh, what is his name? Sam Jones. They actually, he's in the movie. He's in this, this Ted movie. So this got a little bit of attention, you know, a few years ago, but I, I just, like you said, it's kind of slow. I just don't think it's fun enough to it. You know, it's silly and, and cheesy, but it's just not that much fun. So I, I would kind of have to, I'm sadly kind of have to say I wouldn't recommend it. I agree. I agree. Um, along the same lines, I, I get that it's a cult classic. I get that there's enough to talk about, you know, and there are enough bright points that sort of make it memorable. Um, as a movie we saw as kids and like the sexy stuff and the, torture stuff you know you're just kind of like what 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 is what's going on here in the soundtrack you're like whoa um i can't imagine if you showed it to kids today they would enjoy this no i mean i just didn't have that much fun with it no yeah it kind of felt like but yeah it, it felt like those sequences were supposed to be fun like they're like 
eh, we're all having a great time, right? And I'm kind of like, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not. You don't have me. And when you talk about other kind of unicorn cult classics like The Room, which is unquestionably awful, uh, worse than this in so, so many ways, it is inexplicably watchable from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And I, fun might be too strong a word, but I remember I went to see it with, um, with Tom and Stephanie uh, on my birthday. It might've been my 40th birthday. We went to a midnight screening of The Room, which I had never seen. Mm -hmm. And I did have fun. I don't know that the movie itself is particularly fun if you just sat and watched it alone. But as terrible as it was, I was engaged in watching the movie actively from the beginning to the end. Mm -hmm. And Flash Gordon lost me a few times where I just had to like pause it and take a break or, um, you know, I watched it in two nights because the first night I was just kind of like, this is literally putting me to sleep. And I, you know, and then I came back, I'm like, all right, I got to watch the end of Flash Gordon. But that's a very different tone. You know, sure, I, yeah. I I mean, I, I would say I'm not going to try and dissuade if somebody was like, oh, I want to watch it. OK, great. Go watch it. You know, I, I was interested to revisit it because it did make an impression on me when I was a kid. Yeah, same here. And there were lots of WTF moments in it. But I don't know that those things make it an entertaining film to watch. Um, and it's not a so bad it's good. It wasn't like they were trying right. to make a great movie and it, you know, it just didn't turn out and it's really bad you got the feeling that everybody knew this, they were making a cornball movie basically. You know, I, I didn't, uh, you know, I don't think they felt they were making star Wars. The campy stuff, the campy elements of it to me did not jive with the serious elements of it. And the serious elements of it are things like when they're wiping Zarkov's mind and we have his memories of Nazi Germany and the Holocaust and the cruelty of this. And he's begging, please don't, you know, don't take my mind. Mm -hmm. It's upsetting. And the torture of the emperor's daughter and the, you know, um, the, the the way that uh, Clytus dies and the cruelty that Clytus and all of Ming's people uh, exhibit towards everyone. It just, you know, and the psychosexual stuff that felt not just mature beyond a kid's movie, but cruel, like sadistically sexual. What he makes, you know, he, I think in the trailer, it even says, you hear Ming's voice saying, you know, prepare her for my pleasure. And you're like, oh, God, you know, it's it's like, it's upsetting. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that, then you can't just have a sequence where the football player in space has a sort of a football match against guards that kind of look like they're wearing football helmets and they all kind of like Benny Hill around as he bonks them on the head with, you know what I mean? It's like, no, I'm still a little rattled by, you know, Ming's um, sexual you know he's going to make her his sex slave like well and there was even some uh, like kind of sexual stuff between him and the daughter too which was a kind of creepy you know a little bit kind of hinted at and i don't know i mean 
I'm not saying that stuff is in and of itself inadmissible in movies. You know, there's some dark stuff. We talked about Dune. The Harkonnens are utterly uh, despicable. Like they are, they are a regime of cruel sadists. Mm. Um, and their whole planet is this nightmare, sadistic place. <laughs> People have heart plugs that they can pull out. And I mean, it's, it's really upsetting, but Dune it's not was for not kids. All, was yeah. not for kids, and it was not trying to be some campy like now a funny football action sequence. You know, it's like no, as the Harkons are are horror people, they're nightmare people. You know, yeah. um, so I guess two. I in terms of recommending yeah, to go see down, it, spend your time with two thumbs down on this one, but um. You had mentioned there's some stuff coming up you're excited about. Dune, the trailer dropped. Yeah, for, I was going to uh, say, what did you think of that? So you being the, you know, more the resident Dune uh, fan, whereas I, you know, I just saw the the original movie for the first time a couple of months ago. So what did you think of the uh, trailer? You know, where I am with it right now is a little disappointed. Oh, okay. Um, and I'll tell you why. I think it looks great. I love the cast. I think he did a brilliant job of casting it um, without seeing anybody do too much in the trailer. Um, and I am very excited to see it. It feels a little bit, just from the trailer and what they sort of skate through in the trailer, it, it almost feels like he's remaking um, the 1980 Dune that David Lynch made. Yeah, and I that, I was struck by that. I thought, wow, you know, having just seen it, this feels a lot like the David Lynch movie. And you know, with a sort of a a better like sheen. If I were gonna if I were gonna make that movie, I would do it like this. But I'd still be making that movie, and I have to. I I don't know that you can make Dune differently like david lynch may have brilliantly pared down you know into two hours you may have to cut away so much of the source material that what you're left with is the basic arc of this paul atreides character mm -hmm. um because i felt it like it looked like the 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 lynch movie with just better effects basically you know yeah, and modern more modern filmmaking techniques you know i need to go back and reread the books because I do remember the books are very elaborate. Like it's, it's very detailed and it's it, the universe building of it is meticulous and, and unique. And I mean, yes, it's a Messiah story, but it, it's complicated. In, in other words, Neo, it, we, Neo is a good guy and there's no question about that. I, the books raise an issue that it's sort of like, so, the Fremen at least paint Paul Atreides as a messiah, but even Paul Atreides is uncomfortable with that concept. And is that a good thing? Is having a messiah a good thing, right? When mm -hmm. they're making it this religious prophecy being fulfilled when really in the book it outlines that it's also the product of generation after generation of like selective eugenics basically uh breeding and you know it's like they're trying to make this prophecy come true 
until there's a male that's born able to take this spice that will complete this sort of transformation into this super being. So it's, it's interesting because it's not, oh, God put his son on earth and it's the fulfillment of the prophecy. It's they have been engaging in what is essentially eugenics for like in the book, I think it's millennia and Mm -hmm. to get to this point and Paul Atreides happens to be the product of that. Whereas if he's a Messiah, it's he is faultless and blameless and can do no wrong, right? Because he is a deity. Mm-hmm. But Paul Atreides doesn't think of himself as a deity, but suddenly he has godlike powers. So it it really unpacks this sort of Messiah arc in interesting ways. Um and it gets more into all the other people that use the spice and the way and the mentats and all the different, and the, the, the guild members and, and the, this stuff seems to have really potent um, effects on the human uh, physiology and brain mm-hmm. and lots of different people use it in different ways. It just gets really, really broad and three-dimensional and, and interesting science fiction ways. And you just don't have time in a movie to plumb those kind of depths. Um if you had to guess, do you think it, we we talked about this at I, I think with previously with the Lynch movie, but you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure I probably said something along these lines, but you know, Star Wars, I think works so well because it's so easy for people to understand the characters. You know, you've got a pirate and a good wizard and a bad wizard and a princess. You know, everybody can understand that. Right. With this, do you think that is is dune kind of too weird to appeal to just the masses basically i mean is this going to be like dune fans and hardcore sci-fi fans are going to be into this but maybe it doesn't make a billion dollars or whatever the studio is hoping for i don't know i think you you really put your finger on it with star wars i think it's got to be you know, they had laser swords. Mm-hmm. That was cool. And they, they, they are kind of a religion that can kind of move things with their mind using the force. But it's never cool. too deep, you know. It's just kind of basic, you know. It never things. gets deeper than the human thing like, I am your father. What? No. Like, you know, you can get your head around that. It's like, oh, I, the guy I don't want to be my father. You know, I'm, my, my father's gone. I want to idolize my father. It turns out my father's actually complicated. Right. I mean, everybody can relate to that in some way, whether you have experienced it or not. You can imagine like, oh, snap, what if I was adopted and it was, you know, somebody I didn't want it to be. Um, Whereas Dune is really uh, world building and it just may be too the material. It makes a great novel and a great series of novels, but. I don't know. I don't know if it'll translate the richness of it. will translate to the screen or not. I'm excited to see it. I think uh, they definitely have the right person doing it. Yeah. You know, I, if Blade Runner 2049 is any indication, yeah. this guy can take a beloved property and like really right. carry it forward. And I love that movie. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, I was telling you, um, and we're, we're getting a little long in the tooth here, but we missed 
last week, so let's okay. indulge. Yeah. I was telling you about some of the TV I've been watching. Um, I've been watching Lovecraft Country, um, The Boys Season 2, and Raised, Raised by, by Wolves, wolves yeah. which are three very different um, projects. But three that I think, and you had texted me back that you you you're not you haven't watched any of any of them. You're you no. haven't seen. Oh man, has seen any of any of them. I think you would dig all three of these in the same way that I dig them for different reasons. I mean, they're very different. Lovecraft is. Um, um, how am I spacing on his name? Uh, get out. Uh, it's uh, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Thank you. And. It's HBO money, so the, the production design on it is lavish, and it looks amazing, and it really weaves the horrors of mid-20th century uh, racism uh, with the horrors of H.P. Lovecraft. Now, let me and, ask you about that. Like, I, I, I don't think I would be all that interested in it if it didn't have the Lovecraft aspect of it. So is it, is it very heavy on the racism aspect and like light on the, the Lovecraft part or is the Lovecraft part a big component? I'll say yes. Okay. (laughs) Um, uh, So it, it varies a little episode to episode. Um, but all episodes have elements of both. So what drives these African-American characters uh, forward is essentially Lovecraftian. You know, there's sort of ancient gods and a hidden language and horrors and tomes and monsters and spells. And, you know, that's all very Lovecraftian stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then every episode, the places it takes them, um, tend to be white communities that are hostile to them because they are black. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know that it, it feels experimental. Okay. It feels like they gave him a lot of money to be experimental. And he gets to do it episode by episode, which means by its very nature, it it could, you know, not every episodic thing feels disjointed, but this feels a little disjointed episode to episode. You're like, oh, this one's about the house. Oh, this one's about the, you know, the weird white wizards that abduct them. Mm-hmm. Oh, this one's about that, right? So it's like... Each episode has a kind of a mini theme, but it's the same characters trying to unravel whatever they've gotten themselves mixed up in. Um, of the three that I mentioned, it's the more uh, out of the box. I, I mean, I don't want to say it runs hot and cold, but it runs like hot and warm. Some of it I'm like, woo, that was amazing and then others i'm like oh, i didn't like that as much okay but the performances are terrific i don't know i i do think it's worth uh, unreservedly i think it's worth checking out um raised by wolves i think you would 
flip over. I'm riveted by it. How and how far into it are you? Because the I'm reason up to date. Okay, because the reason why I ask is, uh, I believe it was NPR did a review of it, and they said that the first three episodes are directed by Ridley Scott, and they're great. And then after that, it's somebody else, and it kind of goes off the rails. They said, like, it's fantastic, and then by the end, they kind of couldn't recommend it. So, um, Well, they have probably watched it all. Right. Yeah, they're probably given the whole series to see. Right. And I haven't been given the whole. And series. I don't say that. I uh, hope that you know that doesn't like ruin it for you. But, but uh, um. no, I can see that. I mean, I think if you watch the pilot, the pilot delivers. Mm-hmm. Like the pilot feels like pure Ridley Scott. The pilot is so good, and by the end of the pilot, you're like oh man like you just can't wait um and and that does carry on i guess i can see i can see that carrying on for episode two and three then once everything's sort of established we get out of the kind of opening part of it opening part and then we're kind of like and now we're figuring out how to get from place to place and these people are going there and this Mm -hmm. is what's happening with these guys and it's a little less like starter energy of like, who is this and what's happening and why are we here? And it's more like, okay, so these people are trying to get to the top of that. And those people are trying to get over to this thing. Right. And then it starts like game of Thrones. It starts cutting back between like, now we're here with these folks and now we're going to see what these folks are doing. And now we go, you know, so the the kind of, it settles into a rhythm Mm -hmm. that is not, as exciting as the sort of startup action, because it it doesn't explain anything. It does a very good job of in casual dialogue, you get little pieces of information that you're like, Oh, so they're a colony ship. Like, but it it was like, that's why you got on this colony ship. Like nobody is just didactically helping the audience. Um, And I like that. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I, I think you would, I think you would really dig it. Of the three shows, it's definitely the the one that I'm the most interested in. Although all three of them, I'm I'm interested in. So, so yeah. I... And the boys is Carl Urban, and I think he does a great job of anchoring it. But the the person who really steals the boys is the guy that plays Homelander. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I need to watch. watch I need to watch the boys. I, I definitely. You, you you should start on on season one, and yeah. it. Uh, it doesn't land the hook as hard in the pilot as raised by wolves does, Mm -hmm. but it's really interesting. And I'm into, I'm into season two and season two feels a little bit like they're still trying to figure out, I don't know. Season two feels like season one was a smash hit. And then they scrambled to figure out what they were going to do in season two. Oh, okay. Um, that's Which kind of a bummer it's when ba- that happens. It's not to say it's bad. Mm-hmm. It's not to say it's bad. But season one ended with such a like, whoa. Uh, and then you're kind of like, where are they going to go from here? And you can sort of feel them being like, where are we going to go from here? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great stuff so far in season two. So uh, after talking with you about it, I would say start with Raised by Wolves. Okay. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, 
Now, the only thing that I've seen recently is I saw Tenet in the theater. Yeah, tell me about it. Tell me about it. Um, I don't really want to say very much because I don't want to ruin anything, but just that I'm sure you would like it. It's really good. It's a very... um, Christopher Nolan, I I can't imagine him making a movie I didn't at least enjoy watching it's, it's a really favorite christopher nolan movie fine you know what i'm saying but mm-hmm. it's like he makes big and i think people are thinking this is lesser nolan but i i thought it was very good um it's my only criticism and and almost every review i've seen of this has said the same thing unless you absolutely have to see it in the theater i would say watch it at home so you can have the subtitles on because he does this kind of frustrating thing where a lot of the dialogue is going on while there's really loud music in the background or really loud. Like there's a part where they're on these like kind of high speed sailboats and having a conversation while there's like this roaring engine sound in the background, you know? And so a lot of it, I just wasn't a hundred percent sure what they were saying. You know, I mean, I could get the gist of it, but Yeah, that was, and I don't know if it's almost like, it almost seemed like he did it on purpose to make it more, I don't know, you know, sort of like you had to really pay attention or whatever, but the concept is really great. I don't know how much you know from from the trailer, but but it's a really cool concept. It's basically... Um, I get that this time, time bending, you know, he loves to play yeah, with time. There's time bending and this is kind of his, I mean, he's made no, uh, and I, I saw this at the Alamo draft house and they, um, and you know, the, the Alamo does a lot of cool things and they had a kind of like a short film, uh, before the movie about spy movies, kind of the history of spy movies. And, um, they have some, some quotes from Christopher Nolan where, you know, he, he makes no, secret about the uh, about the fact that he would like to do a James Bond movie someday. And this, this is kind of his spy movie, um, but it's, like a, it's his audition for that sort of. Yeah. But it's, but it's uh, what you, you know, you don't typically have the, the, um, the time bending stuff with, right. with, uh, but one thing that I felt with this, a lot of times, I mean, I'll readily admit with spy movies, a lot of times with spy movies, I get lost pretty quickly as far as, you know, why are they meeting with this person and why is this happening? I never felt that with this. And many of the reviews that I've seen, they said, oh, you know, I'm going to have to watch this multiple times to understand it. I didn't feel like I didn't feel like it was difficult to to understand what was going on. I I thought it was there wasn't much just, of that where, you know, you're just like, I don't know what's happening, you know, difficult to understand what they were saying. <laughs> yeah. Except for the, except for difficulty understanding what they were saying at times. But, you know, it's so funny because when I saw Batman, um, Bane was that way when I saw it in the theater. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. People did re- remarked about that as well. Yeah. Uh, audio design for him. But in the theater, I couldn't make out. I couldn't make out. I'm like, what did he say? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It so there's definitely some of that. Talking going. like this, but the, it was music. And it's just sort of the wash of like, I'm like, come on, you have control of that. You could bump that up so I could know what the dude is saying. Yeah. And it felt deliberate. Yeah. And it, it could be, you know, but uh, yeah, I definitely, um, you know, whenever you see this, I'd look forward to talking to you about it. Cause it's a, it's a really cool movie. And, um, 
you know, you have, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name who is from the Twilight movies, who's going to be the next Batman. What, uh, Pattinson, Robert Pattinson. Yes. He's yes. really good in it. Um, yeah. I mean, everybody's, yeah, all, all of the acting is really good, but, uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I went to see it with my parents and there just wasn't any, surprisingly, they love the Alamo. Um, and it was kind of the only, it was like that or see like Bill and Ted, which they haven't seen in any of the other right. Bill and Ted movies. So yeah. it was funny. You know, I knew going in, I thought this is going to be a little bit weird for them, but, uh, but they, they seemed to like it well enough and they weren't, I kind of had to explain it to them afterwards, you know, what, what it meant and everything. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I really liked it, but back to what you were saying earlier about, um, COVID and theaters and everything, you know, this was kind of the first real big release, um, during the virus. Cause this was supposed to come out in July and I was reading some of the numbers on it. It cost 200 million and it did like 29 million the first weekend and like 2 million last weekend. So, um, in, in like 3000 theaters. So I don't think people are ready to go back to the movies. I'm you not. Know? Yeah. <laughs> and it was, the Alamo does a great job. I mean, it was, I felt very, very safe there. You know, they, you couldn't go in without a mask and it was us and one other person in the whole theater. So, yeah, yeah. you know, so I, I felt fine about it, but yeah, I, and you know, if this lingers on for a long time, you know, I love going to the movies and that would be one of those things where if it, yeah. you know, if, if going to the theaters, you know, it will always exist. I would, I would think, but if it kind of dies off, if people are just like, eh, I'm just going to stay home, you know, I think that would be sad, you know, it would be sad because I, I enjoy, and I like going to places like the Alamo where you can get a beer and you yeah. can get food. And like, that's an evolution. We didn't have that when uh, we were kids. Yeah. But as an adult, I'm like, this is the only way to see movies. You can, there are high end ones where you're sitting in like an airplane chair and there's table service. Yeah. And there's lower end ones. I mean, I guess you can always go out and get food, but there, there tends to be waiters that'll come and like take your order. But some of them are, you know, a more expensive ticket and a more luxury seat than others. Yeah. But I just like the idea to be in the seating is, you you know, it assumes you're there with somebody. So the seating is generally like two chairs with a little table in between or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it really fits with my, I'm like, if nothing else, I want to have a beer while I'm watching the movie. Like I want to relax and I don't just want popcorn with that grease on it. I want to, maybe I'll have sliders or maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll have popcorn, but I love the sriracha popcorn, please. Yeah. You know, I just, I dig it. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Um, and they, it gives them a chance to make a little more money. Obviously the, the food and drink prices are a little jacked up the way they always are, mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't like to eat a ton of candy and soda anyway. Not no. that necessarily beer and sliders are, are better for you per se, but I like, just like to eat more adult food than garbage snacks. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. I, um, Let's call it because we're we're getting to um, a little long in the tooth on this one, but I think we can go ahead and say let's do the dead zone for next time. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I, I like Great. that idea. So 
all of you thousands and millions of people who are listening to us, <laughs> go watch the Dead Zone and we can all talk about it together on our next episode.